Are there real Christian values at the core of conservative economics? Should Christians defend a free market, both for ideas and the economy? And what can we learn about government, economics, and Christian benevolence from tragedies like in Burma right now? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. And I'm very glad to be back with you today. In fact, I need to say I'm really grateful you take whatever time you do to think through and talk about uh, what seem to me to be really important issues that we get to do uh, on this program. And, of course, there are some pressing issues that we always have to deal with. I'm going to mention a few of those in a moment, one in particular that we're going to be talking about throughout the program today. But before I do that, I want to invite a question. If you uh, are interested in this question at all or have an opinion about it, I want to invite you to call in 1-800-881-9270 and give me your opinion about why medical care ought to be nationalized. Let me just clarify exactly what I mean by that. I know there are a lot of you who are listening and don't believe that the government should step in and change uh, the way our private medical industry, or at least somewhat private, medical industry functions. I I know that opinion. I understand that. I want to hear from anybody. I mean anybody who thinks they have a cogent reason, any clear understanding of why, Our medical care industry ought to be nationalized in some way. What I mean by that is if you believe that, uh, for instance, Senator Clinton's plan or Senator Obama's plan ought to be instituted, that it makes sense to you, I'm not going to attack you. I want to talk about it. I want to be able to understand it. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why people want that at all. I understand maybe some of the objectives they think they want to satisfy or some of the problems they think they want to eliminate, but... I can't understand why at all people think that might bring about a solution. But if you think that there's any reason for Hillary Care to be instituted, for instance, as it's been referred to, then uh, I'd, I invite you to call in 1-800-881-9270 and just share with me why you think that is. Again, I won't attack you. I just want to know why you think that would be a successful plan, why you think it would be a good idea. And that actually has a great bearing on what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes coming up uh, during the program. Now, with that said, I know there are a lot of things going on right now. North Carolina election, Indiana elections going on. We're all curious who's going to win that election and what, what, what bearing is it going to have on uh, the Democratic convention and who's going to be selected to, you know, and so on. So all of that's important. We don't have any results from that. So 
We'll just talk about it tomorrow. We can't do anything with it today. But you know, the, the interesting thing about that is that if you, and for instance, uh, any other news story where you know you're interested in the results, but you don't get to hear the program, you don't get to hear uh, Jerry Johnson live, did you know we're podcast also? I mean, by noon the next day after each show, normally, Internet allowing, uh, the programs are up again. You just go to the iTunes, open it up, uh, click on the search box in the store, and type in Jerry Johnson Live, and up will pop. Just one or two choices, and uh, you'll see the right one. Just select Jerry Johnson Live, and there are a list of all the podcasts. You can automatically download it to your to your iPod or whatever MP3 player you use, and uh, and you get to listen to it anytime you want. All the, you know, I teach sometimes at 5 o'clock or 5.15 different classes, and it keeps me from being able to listen to the program, and I'll listen uh, afterwards by uh, downloading the program. So I just wanted to mention that to you. It's available to you if you're interested on it at all. You can also go to www. I know I'm never supposed to say www. but it did. Anyway, jerryjohnsonlive.com. If you go to jerryjohnsonlive.com and then click on the archives, uh, you also have a way to access those podcasts and download and make them available for whenever you want to talk about it. So anyway, let's get to what we're going to be talking about today, because yesterday we took a somewhat circuitous route, to say the least, through Petland, and believe me, I took a beating from my friends, all male friends, about all the females who loved animals that called in. Well, let me just say something to my male friends who I used to respect, by the way. You can put all the spikes on your dog's collar you want, but if you're not willing to kill and eat him, you still love your dog just like that woman does. So anyway, there you go, something to think about. Anyway, uh, just like we're doing that right now, we took a somewhat circuitous route through Petland to gain a little perspective on why it's so offensive to Christian values to discount the worth, not of an animal, that's not the issue at all, but to discount the worth of any human being. And the conclusion we came to was, number one, that we ought to be the kind of people who care intrinsically. That is, as Christians, we're to be kind people. We're to be the kind of people who have a sensitive and caring spirit. Sensitive meaning we actually observe what's going on around us. We're aware of it. Not sensitive meaning I cry at the drop of every hat. It, just, it simply means I am observant to what's going on. I care about what's going on. And because of that, I'm willing to respond to what's going on. I think that's the model that we learn in Scripture uh, from God himself. So anyway, that's the idea. We ought to be the kind of people who care intrinsically. Uh, including things that don't necessarily deserve it. We care about those things. But secondly, human beings deserve it. We ought, obviously, to be caring about human beings, but not simply because of what's in us, although that would be enough, but also because of what's in them, in human beings, as God-given creatures who are worth something to him, then we have a responsibility to maintain a kind of care for them also. And so we asked a question like this yesterday, is quality of life, now we were talking about in terms of medical care in a pandemic yesterday, but is quality of life a valid cause for excluding someone from some resource or opportunity, you know, like medical care, like a, a shot that might help them overcome some pandemic flu, whatever? Is, is a declined or a reduced quality of life a valid cause for excluding someone from a resource or an opportunity that's available to others? And that's exactly where the kind of reasoning that led to that medical report yesterday comes from. And it's a dangerous place to be. There was a movie that came out a while back called Gattaca. I just want you to hear the opening lines of the trailer from that movie. 
Genetics. What can it mean? The ability to perfect the physical and mental characteristics of every unborn child. In the not too distant. Future. Now that whole movie uh, was about uh, eugenics and the idea that we could perfect the human race using genetics. Of course, it was opposed to the idea it advocated a human spirit instead. But the reality is, once we decide that anyone with the right genetics gets to participate or the right makeup, because it's not the gene code that makes any difference to us, it's the result of the gene code that matters to us. So when you start saying someone with a mental deficiency is going to be excluded from medical care for any reason ever then you have violated the basic nature of valuing human beings because they are human beings. It is a fundamental essence to Christian valuing to maintain that respect for human nature. Anyway, if we're to maintain that kind of Christian value then for humanity, then we have to maintain a regard for the lives deemed by many as least worthy of that concern. Not, and this is not just for their sakes, although it includes that. But for our sakes as well. So what do I mean by the lives deemed by many as least worthy of the concern that we ought to give them? But they're, they're excluded from that concern by so many. Well, again, as we mentioned yesterday in the Expelled movie, it comes up, and uh, I think it's Alistair McGrath that uh, gives us this point regarding, uh, for instance, abortion and euthanasia as revelations of a declined concern for any human being. First of all, if you take seriously that evolution has to do with you know, the transition of life forms and that life and death are just natural processes, then one gets to be liberal about abortion and euthanasia. All of those now, kinds of ideas. his idea, his suggestion there is that when we become naturalists, when we take out the value of human beings from uh, their God-given nature and their God-given purpose, then we stop uh, caring about the least um, able to protect themselves, those who are weakest and most defenseless, and that includes those who we think have the least value. Uh, obviously, we don't value them as much as we're willing to discard them. And so he mentions it in terms of aborth- abortion and euthanasia. But you see, the, the the real loss here, and of course it's a huge loss to, 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 to destroy any human being that God already had a purpose for, but the, the loss here that costs all of humanity in the death of an individual like that, in the case of abortion or euthanasia, for instance, is the loss of meaning that we are able to associate with any human being. My meaning is not attached to my ability to perform the tasks that you think are important. My meaning is attached to the fact that it was God who created me. That's why in this other clip from Expelled, uh, this fellow says what he does. Listen to this. It's had very, very degradative effects, degrading effects on our culture and on our capacity of our people to view themselves as spiritual beings with a will, with the capacity to do right and wrong, with a capacity to make meaningful choices. And all, in, in, all of those claims that we have the ability to do right and wrong, to make meaningful choices, he goes on to talk about, to have just consciousness, even the very minimal ideas that we would associate with being right in any way uh, really have to be attached to our understanding of being created by God with a purpose. Now, where this is leading, I'm going to mention in just a moment, but I want to invite you again because I, I, don't, I don't think there's of course, you know, I don't think nationalized health care makes any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. But here I am. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to all of you who are out there. I, I'm listening to you. I'm waiting for you to t- give me one reason that health care ought to be nationalized. Just give me any understanding of why you believe that we ought to take a health care system that maybe or maybe doesn't function very well right now and put it into the hands of the government and say, please make health care available to everyone. Is there anyone? 
uh, who would be willing to stand up and say, yeah, I, I think it ought to be nationalized. If you're that person, call 1-800-881-9270. We'll disguise your name and even act as if we respect you when you call. No, no, we will actually respect you, but not because you're right, but because you're a human being and we care about you. Okay, so anyway, here's the idea. We need to understand in relation to uh, the values that are most obvious. I mean, for crying out loud, if you have uh, any question at all about the ethics of abortion or the ethics of euthanasia, then you really need to reevaluate your understanding of Christian values. Those, those are really basic. I mean, this is, not a, this is not an arguable issue if you maintain a Christian worldview. But there are a lot of people who seem to have the idea that conservative economics— is only coincidentally connected with, you know, something like they might say American right-wing Republican Christian fundamentalism, and they mean every single one of those terms pejoratively, by the way. But, but it's not accidentally connected with it. Now, I'll admit that in a lot of minds it might be, but in reality it's not an accident that it's connected to it at all, and I want to explain what that relationship is in just a few moments. Now, Jackie, I appreciate your willingness to call in from Arlington. Uh, what's on your mind? What do you want to share with us tonight? Well, I'm very conservative. I'm, I'm not. That's fine. And I don't know if a national health care per se is the answer. Gotcha. But I do work with homeless people. Ah. I work with low-income people sure. who need help. Yeah. They need help. They have no resources. I do understand that. And so your suggestion, can you stay on, Jackie, for just a minute? Cause, sure. Okay. Because uh, your suggestion is that there is a reason to change the, the health care industry because some people are being excluded from significant care. Is that right? Right. Okay. Right. But I, I don't know that national health care right. is the answer. Man, I, I definitely understand that. Now, uh, if I were to put it this way, let, let me just put it on the far extreme, Jackie. Just in your okay. opinion, I really am asking just your opinion. In, okay. in your opinion, if you had a choice between the government taking over completely and running the health care industry. Now, obviously, you've said that's not your first choice for anything. Right. So, so let's make it a more moderated choice on this side. Let's just say you have a choice between the current system where emergency rooms have to take in a homeless person who has a broken arm, let's say, and they've got to fix them uh, to a point where they're not in, in any kind of critical state anymore so that they're stable before they send them out. You know, that's the current state, right? You understand yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. So you've got that on one side as a choice. And the other side is... We turn it back over. Now, I'm not saying we could do this overnight or that people would respond overnight. Wow, Jackie, are you going to be able to hang through the break? Because I want to ask yeah, you this question, yeah. and I don't think I'm going to finish. Okay, I'm going to ask you this, and I'm going to ask you to answer it after the break. Okay. The question, if you had a choice between the current system and one in which we handed health care for the indigent back over to charitable organizations who were not forced to do it, but did it only voluntarily, did it only because they actually cared about the poor who were there, expected no income, from the poor to provide for it, which one would you choose? I know you can't answer right now. I want you to answer after we come back, because when we come back, I want to talk about this whole relationship between conservative economic values, which I know don't sound interesting, but they are. Believe me, we're going to talk about some things that are really interesting in a minute. And Christian values and how those things tie together. We're also going to be talking about the terrible tragedy that's been going on in Burma and some efforts uh, among Christians to make a difference with that problem. So keep listening to Jerry Johnson Live.
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. All right, we've been talking about some interesting stuff today. Let me just mention real quickly, uh, you know what wears me? I grew up listening to Southern Gospel music, and I really appreciate it. I love it. I, I love the harmonies. I love the way it fits together. That's good. I listen to all kinds of music. That's one of them. But you know what wears me out about it? It's just listening to the jokes, the same joke that I've been listening to for 30 years between the Southern Gospel songs when I get to hear a group sing. Even the really good groups, that just wear. Oh, well, anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Now, Jackie, we've kept you on the line. I, I wanted to ask you the question of which is one of those you would prefer. Now, obviously, you know, I have a preference. That's why I stated the question the way I do. I just want your honest opinion. If you thought uh, private uh, organizations, churches, you know, for instance, or denominations could start a church that would actually, I mean, start a hospital or start a a medical care, uh, you know, clinic that would actually be charitable, just benevolent, not forced, not have to provide it. Some would probably fall through the cracks, but the attempt would be to do it completely privately. Uh, Would you prefer that or would you prefer the current system where they're guaranteed care in the emergency room? I would absolutely go for the faith-based, faith-based community to step up to the plate yeah. and, and take care of the folks who need it. Now, real I quick. That's more appropriate than having the government do it. Real quick, w- would you say, um, what would you say is keeping that from happening right now? Just your guess. Any idea why, why, why churches don't do it? Maybe they don't know the need. Yeah. You know what? I, I think they know the need. Jackie, my opinion is... They know the need, but they can't do it because the government prevents them from doing it by providing the things they do and taking the money from, uh, you know, listen, if 40 percent of my income is going to pay taxes, then I'm not able to give that money to charitable organizations that could do the same work that the tax money is going to pay bureaucrats to prevent private organizations from doing and to provide only in public uh, you know, in a public sense. You understand what I'm talking about? Yep. Just drives me crazy. Jackie, thank you for a great call, and thanks for hanging on the line. I appreciate your answer to that question. I'm sorry to keep you so long waiting. Uh, Debbie, you also called from Granbury with an opinion about the health care industry. Is that right? Yes. Thanks for calling and waiting. Uh, what's your opinion? Well, first, thank you so much for taking my call. And I just want to say I am a registered nurse who's been in the health care field for over 32 years. Oh, man. Uh, when I started my nursing program in 1972, the state I went to my nursing program was New York State, and we had a well um, historically known state health care system right, yeah. not for, for those mentally ill. They were housed. They were taken care of. That right. no longer exists in any state across the nation because we don't value people. Ah. That's part of the reason we have homeless on the street. They really are unable to take care of themselves, and the communities right. no longer care. 
Well, I am um, going to I'm going to acknowledge right off the bat. There are some people who really can't take care of themselves. Uh, there's some reason, you know, some deficiency that keeps them from being able to provide for themselves. I, I'll acknowledge with you. I mean, we have an obligation to do something for them. Absolutely. And I really think your question about um, churches rising, I have suggested this to our church. Why don't we provide a clinic, a free clinic? Right. And I'll tell you what, some of the barriers to this, having been in the industry for so long. Oh, yeah. Our government is not willing to allow us. They have put up so many roadblocks. Yeah. People, people will sue, and that's a major issue. That if is exactly right. free care, you darn well better have it right. Yeah, No one sure. is willing to say, look, we're willing to help you. We'll do our best. No, no longer even even if a doctor only charged in a in a free clinic, let's say it's free clinic, and then he says, "Well, we do have to charge a little bit. We have to charge enough to cover our malpractice insurance." It would already be priced out of sight. You, you exactly. couldn't do it. So exactly. it, it that the, it, you're exactly right, Debbie. You, you've pointed to exactly the right problem. But you know, cha- getting the government's hands off of the issue and allowing the private sector to step back in would make a difference. Now, I'll admit, if we just did that all at once, it would have some catastrophic immediate results, and it would take time to transition. But I, I appreciate your concern. I, I mean, uh, I, I just I, I cannot I, I cannot see why we turn away from a free market, because it will inherently bring a better result. Debbie, thanks so much for your call, and I uh, appreciate your input tonight. John, in Louisville, I know you also have an opinion on the National Health Care Program. Uh, what's your opinion, John? Well, I'm a um, health care provider as well. I've All right. been in uh, the health care uh, professionally since uh, 91. Yeah. Um, I work in cardiopulmonary. I, I've got an opinion, and then I've got a, a comment. Okay, so real quick. Me. Uh, my opinion is um, that if... if um, if if they base uh, doing hospitals or, or the clinics off like the Scottish Rite, nobody pays for anything right. because everything is free. Right. So they actually get to actually practice medicine. Right. Um, so they they do what needs to be done. They're in and out. There's no if you know there's no insurances sure. to fiddle with at all. Sure. The other thing is if a person uh, say is, is a poor or um, uh, or if they at least work right. and they pay they pay taxes of some sort then maybe that might be for clinic use, not for hospital, but for clinic use, a way of doing um, um, some some type of uh, social medicine just for getting script, uh, prescriptions or, or what have. That might be an idea. But Take I'm not part sure. of their tax money, you mean, and use it for that? Yeah. If I mean, they're already they're paying, paying taxes, you're saying. Well, well, they're, they're, I understand. Yeah. But they're, they're, you could use your taxes for, for, for something else instead of what the government says they're going to use it for. <sighs> Boy, it'd be nice if we could do that, wouldn't it? I mean, well, that, that's that, idealistically. Yeah, that would solve the whole problem. If I, could, if I could pay my taxes to the government and they just kept it in a savings account and I got to withdraw it to use it for what I actually thought was important, it wouldn't be a tax anymore. That would be fantastic. I agree with that. Um, but, you know, the, here's the problem. Anything that I come up with that goes through the hands of the government ends up going through the government's value system as well. And I don't agree with them about what's important. I mean, I might happen to agree with them by, right now, but that doesn't make it right for them to be making the value decision about how my money is going to be spent or the things I'm doing. Uh, anyway, any last thoughts, John, before I let you go? Um, no, it's just like I said, it was idealistically, it would be a good idea uh, for the poor if they're working, sure. they can't afford insurance, that that would, uh, 
be a, a way that they could choose. We're supposed to be able to choose how we our taxes are spent, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're getting proper representation. Well, I've got you there, John. I appreciate that. And and I'll just say, uh, you know, to everybody, all of us, uh, that's the thing that frustrates us about how high the taxes are. There's so little uh, representative attachment to how that tax money is being spent. It's very frustrating what happens with it. Now, let me just make clear what I think the issue is uh, between our Christian values and this conservative economic idea of a free market. Because here's the deal. If we're going to value every human being equally, then we cannot allow for elitism. We can't treat one person differently than another. Say, well, this person's more important or this person has a different value than another. We can't do that at all. Now, if we're going to avoid that kind of elitism, then we have to provide an economic environment of, inqu- of equality. Otherwise, we're saying, well, you get to have this special kind of opportunity economically, but you don't get to have that for whatever position someone's in. Now, you say, well, who would want to do that? Well, that's exactly what happens, because here are the two choices we have about how to provide economic equality, environmental economic equality. You either provide an equality of resources or you provide an equality of opportunity. But you can't provide an equality of resources. It, it doesn't even make any sense. It's not possible for everyone to have an equal amount of stuff. For instance, we're going to say everyone gets this certain amount of health care or everyone gets this guaranteed minimum income or everyone gets a certain kind of house. or ev- We can't do that. There, there are a whole lot of reasons why you can't, aside from the competition over scarce resources. But one of the main reasons is that we don't all want the same thing. We just don't. It doesn't make any sense to put two men in a duel, and I'm not saying all of the economy is competitive, although a significant portion of it is, but if you if you take the competitive part of an economy and just make this point, you just say put two men in a duel, and you say, okay, we're going to make it fair. We're going to give both of you swords. That doesn't make it fair. Whoever's better at sword fighting now has an advantage. You chose which resource each was going to get, and you distributed it equally, but it did not make for an even playing field because the guy who's better with a pole is now at a disadvantage. You go to them and you say, what tool do you want? And he says, I prefer a sword. And you go to another and you say, same opportunity. What weapon do you want? And he says, I want a maul. And then he chooses what he wants. The other guy chooses what he wants. Then you have an even playing field. That's the point of a free market. Not that we have equal distribution of resources, but that we have equal opportunity for all. And that can only work one way. That's if you have a free and fair market. Free means people are able to pursue what they want. They pursue what they want to produce. They pursue what they want to consume, but it's up to them what they want to do, how they want to spend their money, how they want to use it. I realize the risks that are involved with that because people make stupid ideas. But if they make stupid ideas and live with the consequences of it, and believe me, as a person who's made more than my share of stupid decisions, I understand that letting people live with the consequences of their decision is painful. That's why benevolence at a voluntary level is important in every society. But unless we let people live with the risks that go with their free decisions, we'll never restore an ability to treat people equally instead of this inequality that's going on right now. For instance, that a person works all year long and then we take 40% of their income and distribute a significant portion of it to people who chose not to work because they didn't care about having the money but are now getting it in a check in the mail from the government anyway, even though they didn't pay any taxes to put that money into the pot to begin with. No, I'm not bitter about that. I'm glad it's out of the government hands. I I really am. I'm glad it's out of the government's hands. But it doesn't make any sense to redistribute wealth. 
in that way if you're going to treat people equally. Now, I said it had to be free and fair. Free means people pursue what they want. Fair means there's no elitism allowed. That is, no cheating allowed, no fraud, no special privileges for any group. Everyone has the same opportunity all of the time. Now, that's the idea of economics that comes inherently, or or I, I should say intrinsically, out of holding a value for every single human being. That's the whole idea on which the free marketplace was built to begin with. That's the same idea, by the way, that undergirds the entire strength of the Declaration of Independence, the reason that this country was established to begin with. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable, unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty. And then, you know, the, the original uh, John Locke kind of idea, expression of it, it's property, that is, the ability to earn things and keep them for yourself and not have someone else take them away. So those economic values are really important. And, and by the way, as it turns out, those economic values and those idealistic values are a part of the difference between a democracy and a military dictatorship or a, or a government that's militarily ruled. And we want to talk about some of those differences about Burma and some of the details of what's going on in Burma as soon as we come back, which will be just shortly. So hang on for the rest of Jerry Johnson Live. listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Well, listen, we've been talking about uh, some varied topics, but we need to get to a specific news issue that's going on today. It hu- has huge ramifications. I mean, uh, an unbelievable number of people have been affected by it. And uh, I, I know we've been talking about the fact that to hold the highest moral value of Christ, that is, uh, to regard everyone of equal worth in the way Christ emphasizes for us to do leads not only to some immediate moral conclusions about abortion, eugenics, euthanasia, all that kind of stuff, but also to some specific economic, and now we're going to see some political conclusions as well. Now, we're not going to talk about the political cl- conclusions immediately because, uh, first, we want to get just to some of the issues that are going on in Myanmar right now, and we want to understand that from someone who actually has some information about it. Now, you know and you've heard, I'm sure, that Burma or Myanmar has been hit by a devastating uh, tropical cyclone. It's a hurricane, but my best understanding is it's a hurricane level three or four, we would say, uh, over here most of the time. And so Yangon or Rangoon and the Irrawaddy Delta uh, have both been hit really hard by it. And uh, we actually have uh, you know information coming from everywhere that the devastation is significant and that there's going to be a lot of aid that's necessary. In fact, a spokesman for the Christian cha- Aid Charity Organization, uh, Christian Aid Charity Organization named Ray Hassan, Hassan, says that international emergency teams face a huge challenge in Burma. There's over a million people who are currently homeless without shelter, water, food, and you know, all the other essential things that they need for life. Now, I know that the SBTC, that's the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, other denominations around our region uh, have disaster relief teams that are ready to go whenever the opportunity or need presents itself. I know that's the truth now also. But we have the privilege of uh, having Jeff Palmer on the line with us today, and he's the executive director of Baptist Global Response. And so he's the person who would be directly over seeing uh, the effort for Baptists, in this case, to make a difference in Myanmar right now. Jeff, thanks so much for taking time uh, to talk with us today. Barry, thanks for having me on the show at this critical time. Yeah, and now that's what I want to hear first from you is just uh, what is going on? What do you know of that's happening uh, that you could share with our listeners? I know you probably can't share everything you know, but uh, what do you know of that you'd be willing to share with our listeners about what's happening in Burma right now? 
Well, it's an extremely, extremely serious case that's happening right now with the typhoon. Everybody's seen it on the news, and uh, we're able to gather that information as well as uh, some other information for on-ground sources. Right. Uh, it's, it's really hard because of the nature of the uh, disaster, which knocked out communications, uh, and also the nature of the government that's there, that's yeah. a little bit uh, not not very open to foreigners coming in working. Right. But, but what we're putting together is is pretty much what everybody else is saying. Uh, over twenty two thousand dead, and uh, right. um, maybe forty to fifty thousand uh, missing, and uh, again wow. the homeless that are there, uh, and just an urgent need for uh, water, uh, for food, and for shelter at this time. Wow, un- un- unbelievable! And the impact of that tragedy is just. Uh, Unbelievable. I want to. I want to remark on one thing real quickly that you just said. Uh, it's difficult to get more information. A lot of information. Part of that has to do with the nature of the government that's there. Part of it, uh, not directly related to the government. You may not be able to address this directly, but part of it, I sense, is like I. I know people uh, who are in Yangon uh, who live there and uh, who are doing. Uh, they're just they, they ha- they're Christians and they live there and they would never say uh, exactly why they go over there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I know I know people like that. I haven't been able to contact them. And even if I was able to, I'm not sure how much they'd be able to say. Is that part of the frustration that you face in trying to get information about what's actually happening on the ground there? Well, all of us face this, yeah, exactly the same frustration. Uh, again, this, the communications before this happened were not good with Burma because right. of uh, with, uh, Myanmar because of uh, just the infrastructure is not there, and then what was there was knocked down. Um, you know, also know that there are countries around that are giving you know huge, uh, huge uh, uh, donations right now, uh-huh. uh, and even those that are doing that. I think I just read where U.S. gave three point two five or has pledged three point two five million dollars, and uh, right. still can't even get visa for their disaster relief people to go on ground. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's just the nature of the animal. It's very, it's very strange. The yeah. government's very protective. Right. Uh, Paranoid. Uh, yeah, very, that's a, that's the word that, that could be used. But the, the thing is, uh, w- there's a lot of us, a lot of organizations, the large ones and smaller NGOs that like ourselves that are non-government are organizations. To get people on ground uh, to get there and get uh, online, uh, get, get on-site assessment, and begin to help the folks that are there. Because there's a lot of Christians in Burma, a lot of right. folks that are trusted partners, that are national partners that right. we can work with, and uh, we've done disaster responses in the past with them and the main thing is getting there, getting the information, and then uh, yeah. also another problem is, is simply uh, getting the goods in. Uh, that's going to require a lot of cooperation, uh, permission from the government on that side. Sure. Uh, as well as permission from the government on this side. You know, we understand, you, you do understand that, that Burma is under, it's one of the countries under U.S. sanctions, and so right. there are, uh, for aid agencies that would be working, there's a lot of considerations we have to think about with our own government as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I understand that. I understand they're under sanctions, I assume, because of human rights violations, right? Right. And political, uh, some political suppression there. Um, but, but we yeah. just did get word uh, just in the last few minutes that uh, uh, the president has waived some of those requirements and made it a lot easier. And good. that's a good word for that country because the, the key here is not politics. The key no, here is right. people who are homeless, people who are suffering. Uh, children who've lost their parents, parents who've lost their children, right. and trying to get into an area that, you know, you're looking at probably 11,500 square miles that was affected by this uh, typhoon. 
Now, uh, this one question that I want to ask you uh, actually has to do with, um, well, here, here's, the, here's the deal. A lot of Christians, they want to help, and so they, uh, you know, they act immediately or react immediately, and they feel better about themselves, but they really haven't made a difference. So what I want to know is, what kind of help can your organization or the organizations that work with you actually give that makes a difference you know, on the ground? What kind of stuff would you all do? Well, one of the things we're, we're going to do, and we're working hard right now and hope to have in the next couple of days, is, is, is on-ground assessment and people there who can actually tell us what's going on, working together with Burmese nationals, you know, to really find out where are the needs. Uh, there's going to be needs that are there. The U.N.'s going to be there and put the food that they can in, but there's right. always these huge pockets of areas that a village here, a, a province there that goes unnoticed. Right. And, again, with the restrictions of a country like Myanmar, it makes it even doubly hard to cover those areas. What we're going to be able to do, uh, we we are going to work with um, uh, disaster relief networks here in the states, those that are from the Baptist and the state conventions. Right. And... um, uh, work with uh, them. We've got an agreement that we can uh, set up assessment and response teams. Um, again, right now, we're not sure how many people the government of Burma are going to allow to come in from the outside. Right. Um, we're, we're planning for both our, our two or three cases. If, if they open up, we're ready to go in with folks, with materials, with expertise to help and, and even try to get food in. If they don't, we're, we're prepared to go in uh, with small outside personnel and really heavily uh, uh, help those local churches and local believers and uh, local folks in Burma take care of their own problem. But that would be mobilizing resources to them. Well, Jeff, here's the. I want you to hear this. This is just a quote from uh, President Bush today about trying to help there and the problems that might be associated with it. I want to play this for you in one more, and then I want to get your feedback on it real quickly. Here's President We're prepared Bush. prepared to move uh, U.S. Navy assets uh, to help... Uh, find those who've lost their lives, to help find the missing, and to help stabilize the situation. Now, of course, his desire is to get over there and make a difference and figure out what's going on. I I think I'm hearing from you, Jeff, that part of y'all's role is, I mean, part of the people that would work with you, their their goal is first to get over and just assess and see what needs to be done, not just to assume that you can throw money at it, solve the problem, or something like that, right? Exactly. So, and we get that part, and then, and then the Ray Hassan, who I mentioned earlier, mentions that there are uh, some relief organizations that, that actually might be trying to put pressure on the government of Myanmar to get this accomplished. Listen to this, and give me your feedback. It's very important that time is not lost, and that the Burmese government recognise the need for international support. Now, uh, do, are you do, are you familiar with him and his organization and what they do? I, I'm not familiar with him. I'm a, okay. I'm familiar with the organization. Okay, uh, and you know, I get the Im- impression there that they actually are pushing from the outside on the government to try to get them respond. Does that work, or is that red, you know sometimes uh, give a negative? Uh, well, yeah. th- there have been pushing by various organizations, especially since 1990 in the elections that still have not been recognized. You know. Right. Uh, so, uh, but at this case, you know, I would not care to comment much on the politics side. I, oh, sure. I understand I, that. I would love to see us be able to open up and whatever resources that, uh, wherever they right. come from, get them there to help the folks. Now, I, I appreciate your focus on that. I mean, of course, that's why you're in the position you're in, because you know how to get that done. Let me ask you one more question, and that is, if there was one thing 
You know, if there were just one thing that you could uh, share with Christians so that they could understand more about international, uh, uh, you know, issues like this or just disaster relief in general. You were dealing also with the Virginia disasters recently, I understand. And, you know, with all of those kinds, if there were just one thing you wish Christians understood about disaster relief efforts and the relationships that go into all of that, what would it be? What would you say to them? Um, I would say to them, you know, a lot of times we don't have to be the first folks to respond in the area. We, that's the heartstring when we see this. Everybody right. wants to get on a plane and go. And, and I appreciate that attitude. In fact, we want to see that happen because part of our, our goal is to get people involved, especially Southern Baptists involved in right. international relief and development, uh, Southern Baptists and others. Right, but, sure. But, but also a, a thing like this that happens most of the small disasters that hit they're handled locally and there's thousands of those that happen you know uh, already this year that people never hear of sure when something like this hits we, we really need some really good professional folks in there to get the assessment and get things lined up because right. this is not going to be a uh, respond in two or three days and it's over this yeah. is going to be one of the tsunami type things that we saw in uh, Indonesia Sri Lanka uh, yeah. India before in Thailand, where it's going to take a long-term response. So I, I would ask them uh, one prayer that right. they would begin sure. praying for, the, uh, that these these barriers, these red tape things would, would, would fall down, that, that, that governments would open up their doors and allow people that who know how to help to come in and help those in need. Yeah, um, right. Second I, thing, to ask them to you know pray about uh, the, the people that are are, are victimized that are actually suffering right now suffering hey listen Jeff we're just about to come up on a break but I just want to say what we appreciate about you is that you're not just trying to do something to make people feel better you're actually doing something to make a difference so that if people feel better it's because the change was real thanks for listening on Jerry Johnson live keep listening we'll be right back If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Well, I don't want you to misunderstand for one second the reason that I'm bringing up Myanmar and Burma today. Now, of course, I'm bringing it up for one reason, because it's in the news. It's a big event, and over 20,000 people have lost their lives, so we have to talk about it. But I'm not trying to twist that into a support for the free market or something like that. It's got nothing to do with that. Uh, in fact, uh, people do this all the time. You know, They have a news story comes up, and they abuse it into some kind of support for their political pandering or for their ability to promote their uh, really radical or ridiculous political 
political cause. Now, I'm not going to characterize this next particular political cause in that fashion unless you just happen to want to apply those words to it yourself in the same way that I would personally. Because here's Al Gore talking about this devastating event in Myanmar. And as we're talking today, Terry, the death count in Myanmar from the cyclone that hit there yesterday uh, has been rising from 15,000 to way on uh, uh, up there to much higher numbers now being speculated. Uh, And last year, a a catastrophic storm uh, uh, last fall uh, hit hit, uh, Bangladesh. Uh, the year before, the strongest uh, cyclone in more than 50 years uh, hit, hit uh, China. Uh, and w- we're seeing uh, uh, consequences that uh, scientists have long predicted might oh. be associated with continued yeah. global warming. Oh, you have to be kidding. Give me a break. Is this for real? Does he actually think that the hurricane would not have hit where it did if we hadn't built so many coal plants as a reaction to the China syndrome move. Oh, which comes out of the same. Oh, well, that's that self-contradictory stuff that goes with all of his opinions. That's just absurd. Uh, global warming caused this. Uh, I don't know what caused it. He doesn't know what caused it. We know that God is in control of everything. We know that in response to tragedies like this, natural evils, things that happen in the world that are bad, we have a moral responsibility and we have something we're supposed to do. And that's what our attention ought to be drawn to right now. The reality is that if there is a problem, that ought to be seen in Myanmar. It's not just that a hurricane hit and killed so many people, but that so many people are suffering now and need to be cared for, and that was a secondary issue to the people who hold the stewardship of those citizens, that is, their government. There is a military regime in Burma, in Myanmar today, precisely for the purpose of preventing individuals from expressing their equality in any kind of marketplace of ideas or economics or anything at all. And there is a second-rate significance to the lives of the citizens of that military regime. If they serve the military regime well, they are preserved, but only for their utility. And if they don't, like Buddhists, monks, or like those who protested in advocacy of democracy not too long ago, then they are squelched or even killed. They're imprisoned like someone for 12 out of 18 of the last years was, this uh, woman who represented democratic ideas there. Uh, it's just a, it's a horrendous condition. This lack of concern for human rights is not accidentally related to their Uh, disregard for a free market, both of economics and ideas. And in fact, that's exactly what Barry Schweid was talking about today. Freedom House again judged the same eight countries as the worst of the worst. Like last year, they are Cuba, Libya, Burma, North Korea, Somalia, Sudan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. The people fear retribution for independent thought and action, and it's part of daily life, says Jennifer Windsor, executive director of Freedom House. Conditions in Myanmar or Burma grew even more repressive last year with violent repression of protests of food prices, according to the report. Barry Schweid, Washington. Man, this is one of the most repressive regimes in the world. And, uh, you know, the the people uh, don't want 
to be repressed. They don't want to be arrested for their ideas. Uh, If you say, well, why don't they just rise up and cause a democracy? Not everyone has the same privileges that we've had in our history and the same privileges that we have now under our Constitution before it's completely shredded and ignored. Not everyone has those privileges, and they don't have that freedom either. And it is... It is, it is not my concern to say, hey, let's go over there and force democracy on these. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that as Christians, we value the respect that ought to be given to all of the people who live in Myanmar, for instance. Listen, uh, let me put all this together the best I can in the last few minutes that we have together. And again, I, I'm just really grateful for the time uh, that I get to spend with you when you're willing to just talk through and think through some of these issues with me. If the economic system that preserves respect for every person is a free market, and it necessarily is that, then what role does the government play? Just think about it. What role could the government play in that case? It can only play one role, and that's negative. It keeps people from breaking the rules. It keeps people from being excluded from the market. But that's it. It's a negative It's just something that enforces the laws that allow the playing field to remain even. So here's the problem with other economic positions. You know, I've actually heard people suggest that the early Christian church was communist, that communism is a good answer. That's an economic system. That's an economic alternative. People don't like to use the word, but it is. It's not an exaggerated term. It's called communism. And uh, what's wrong with that? We all share our resources together. In the early church, after all, they shared everything in common. They shared their food, their resources. They gave their money to the church, and they distributed it among each other. That's like saying that because in my family— I share my income with my children so they can eat or with my wife so that she can provide for the groceries for the kids or so that she can drive a car, that we're a communist home because of that. It's it's absurd. The early church isn't communist. The early church is filled with people who voluntarily cared for each other in the way that they wanted to. It's just silly to think that. So anyway, the idea is that when you say socialism is the way we ought to care for each other, we ought to make sure and provide these things on a national level level, whatever. Look, whoever runs the social system is going to decide what is important to everyone else. That's the elitism that we do not need. We couch it in language that says, oh, we're going to care for everyone equally. We're going to care for everyone equally based on the values of one person instead of the respect that ought to be given to every person whose values are represented within that society. I mean, the reality is the Myanmar regime is more concerned about protecting itself than getting up to meet the needs of its people because it's not about the people. It's about the regime. That's what we don't want. We want the freedom that goes with respect for those individuals. Listen, I mentioned yesterday that there's a first value, that it's the fact that God has a purpose for us. We're his workmanship. He expresses that further in the golden rule, as we call it. We don't just do whatever we want. We, according to his words, we, whatever we would that men should do to us, we have to do to them. And this is, Jesus says, the law and the prophets. In the same way, James said, this is the royal law according to the Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is, we need to start having the same respect for others that we already had for ourselves to begin with. And until we treat people on that equal plane, we're not going to be fulfilling the Christian values that we're supposed to be living out in this world as representatives of Christ. Thanks for listening. Hey, keep listening for Theology Thursday, and tomorrow we'll have some fascinating stuff about evangelicalism on Jerry Johnson Live.
You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.